but we can still clap. Can we still clap? Okay. And because it's just like, just even if we don't need to do it, just out of sheer delight of doing this. Sheer delight. That's right. One, two, three. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure that worked, but that's okay. It's a, if it's just for decoration now. Clap on technology. Engaged. Engaged. By the way, I saw they're still they're still selling clap on from last episode. I saw that too. Yeah, like it's bought, been bought up by Chia. Like it's the, 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 Chia, Chia? the Chia pet company owns <laughs> clap on now, which is I think is a great a great brand investment because it, it's I yeah the same it hits the same spot in the heart I think it does. Yeah. Um, just wasting your money as seen on TV. Yeah. So should Funny. we should we start? Say welcome everybody and you want We should okay. start. We should start. Hello everybody. Welcome to Board Game Faith. We're so grateful to have you with hello, us today. Hello listeners, especially hello Virginia. Yes, hello Virginia. We um we have a lot of listeners in Virginia and we're so grateful for you tuning in. Thank you. My name is Daniel and I am joined My name with is Kevin. Sorry, I talked over you. No, it's it was it was it was an honor, really. It's a pleasure <laughs> to occupy the same audio space as you is my is my my honor, Kevin. But yes, you said your name is Kevin before I spoke over you. My name is Kevin. Great. Hey, Daniel. And um, and Kevin, I got to say, it seems to me as if your clarion voice is even more clarion clarioner. Because I think it is of these awesome audio tech improvements that um, you have been working hard on creating, but thanks also uh, in large part to one of our faithful listeners, Jen. Thanks, Jen, for thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Just had some great ideas on how we could continue to improve our audio engineering. So we really appreciate that. What did people do before YouTube? Like, how did you know anything? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, exactly. You know, we, we went for um, a month to Dublin, Ireland for a ministerial exchange. And, um, and you know, um, folks in Ireland and folks in the United States uh, drive on opposite sides of the road from each other. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we were exchanging houses. We were also exchanging cars. And, um, and in addition... Um, we have automatic cars at our house here. Um, the pastor in Dublin had had uh, manual transmission, like um, stick. And I have never, I, I've never learned how to drive a, uh, a stick shift. Right. So I went to Dublin, Ireland. We walked everywhere for several weeks, and then I thought, you know what? I'm a grown man. I need to know how to drive a stick shift, and so I got on YouTube. <laughs> To watch, <laughs> to watch, to teach myself how to drive a stick shift. So where did you set the phone? Was it on the sort <laughs> well, of? Well, it was. I, you know, I did it. I did it like I, I studied. You know, I was in the house and I was watching. Okay. Okay. Um, you did. I, I picture sitting it on the dash there. That would have been better, to, maybe, because yeah, right. the combination of trying to learn how to drive a stick shift from YouTube and driving on the other side of the road from what I'm used yeah. to was not a very good idea. Um, so I. I circled one block before giving up and um, the car stalled about three or four times. <laughs> sure. And at one point I clipped, I, I, I clipped the side view mirror of a, of a car that was parked <laughs> on the side of the road. And um, so I pulled off because I, I didn't know, I didn't want to just drive away. And thankfully the person from the apartment just happened to come out at that time who owned the car and we looked and there was no damage. It was just basically, I had just flipped it. Um, so he was very forgiving. So anyway, yes. Good. So I, I tried to use YouTube to learn how to drive a stick shift. It, it didn't work too well. But it's, that is, um, it's great for podcasts. Yeah, that's very fun. It's great for podcasts. We think. We're hoping. <laughs> I now know about compression. What is compression? So compression. So normally our voices go up and down with volume, yeah. correct? 
and then you might turn away from your microphone and that or speak loudly because you get excited about YouTube. And the problem is, while that works, I think, in real life, coming from an audio source like a speaker, that's a little difficult because you might be driving in your car, et cetera, et cetera. So compression really just pushes that high. If you get too loud, it kind of squishes it down somehow magically. Okay. okay. So it keeps it keeps the, the loud and the soft from being so loud and soft. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, I guess I raised, I changed pitches there too. I shouldn't have done that. It keeps the loud from getting too soft. So then it's, it kind of makes it even. It, it, and you can change how much compression is applied. It like shaves off the extremes, sort of? Yeah, I don't think it cuts it off, though. It somehow pushes it down because if you, if you cut it off, then you would have no sound. So I it's see, somehow lowering through algorithms or whatever. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I learned from YouTube. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, YouTube. Good. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you have a $5,000 board game table? I, I do not. I do not. I have um, a, a used um, Ikea table that, uh, for, for our, our games that a, a friend of ours kindly picked up for us on the back of his truck but um is it a dining table or is it i a, think it's meant to be it? a dining table it's you know right. one of these just like a long wooden dining table that you can add and take away leaves from how about you do you have a five thousand dollar board game table i do not but i have looked at them somewhat longingly i you know it's a lot of money although when you get to a certain point in your life you you do buy furniture and you realize these things are possible. Like yeah. buying a dining room table is going to cost you yeah. a couple of G's. Yeah. Uh, so I've thought about it. I actually have a, so a friend who is a Methodist pastor who did some woodworking, he was willing to try to make a board game table. Oh. And so I have kind of a homemade uh, sort of, and, and it's pretty neat, um, but he was he was guessing at the how much how to stagger the weight and what to do and and the height and so it was really very much a experimental thing but it only ran a few hundred bucks just for the parts so what are some of the features of it that make it distinctively a board game table as opposed to a different kind of table so it's a little lower okay and it it's it, so it's sort of like a craps table if you've ever seen that at a um in a movie about casinos, for example, if you've ever seen I'm all about the casinos. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know, right? I know right? So the table's lower uh, than normal. Yeah. And then the, the depth, so the, there's an outer ring. And so then the table itself drops even lower. So if you throw dice, they're not going to go flying. That's a Like there's a wall. It's sort of like a little amphitheater. It's an amphitheater for your knees. Cool. That sounds basically. great. <laughs> Are there cup holders? They're not cup holders. Okay. Okay. And the felt was just normal felt from the craft store, which I realized was a big mistake because that felt is not, it, it won't sustain getting things moved on it. It starts creating little pelts and little piles of I see. material. I see. And then the cat would get up there and lounge and pick at it and sort of pull it, create little... Hmm sort of pull it out because it really was it's not attached real securely it's like there's it, it just wraps around the wood table that's kind of screwed into the legs okay okay so it's if you pull hard enough on the felt it starts coming up which the cat delighted in yeah. doing do you ever leave because she's terrible person yeah <laughs> do you ever leave game <laughs> components out like meeples or cubes and the cat um, jumps up there and is like yes I love meeples she used to yeah she used to, yeah. And and it was weird because it was never when we were there, but it was like it became a totem of power. Hmm. Like this must mean something to the bipeds, to the non-furry bipeds that feed me. So this, this table means something. So I'm going to go screw with it. Okay, okay. Like if we never used it, I don't think she would have messed with it. But it, it had, you know, it's sort of like a child wants your 
car keys, even though they don't really even know what they do. They just know they must be important because you carry them. Because, yeah, it gets attention. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But these board game tables, they make some that have different levels. So you could really have various games going on at the same time. Right, that you can take off. Like right, they like slot a in. Yeah. It's crazy. I think that's genius. I love that. Yeah. And I could see it for a dining room table that you could lift. So you could play a game, but use it so it's it's not a unipurpose thing. But but it's it's both. But, of course, I would have a game set up and then, I don't know. Yeah. I'd probably have two games set up. That would be the... Then I would never dine. Right. I would just... Yeah. That's the challenge we found with this. I mean, we have a we have a dining room table up on the main part of our house. The, this this IKEA table is down in the basement where we play games. But but yeah, you know, there's sometimes you want to go downstairs and just eat food down there, and um, and and rightly so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my wonderful family is, is like you saying can spread out. It's yeah. like you know, here's here's a table that we can clearly use for food, and and I'm like, oh, but but games. And, what uh, is food? Can you eat meeples? <laughs> so, yeah. So the idea of, of having a layer that you could lift off is, um, is, is really good. Yeah. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I, I can see why people would want to, to invest in, in a more expensive table, a, a more custom table. Cause it is an investment. I mean, when I think about all of the, all of the joy that, you know, game playing has right. brought to, not only our family, but, you know, all, uh, all of our guests who've been, you know, in our house for the last several years and friends who've been over, um, I, you know, it seems as it, it, it seems like there are a lot worse investments you can do. Um, sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a swimming pool? Right. Like the cost, and then you have to buy chemicals and pull dead frogs out of it, which at times I wished we had a swimming pool just because the kids would enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, they're getting older, and there's so it's too late. So I would take that for the board game table. If you really like board games and you're looking, you you don't ever imagine stopping, um, it would make sense to invest in it because over 20 years, that would be a great investment. What you could do is have like an indoor swimming pool with a cover that allows you to play board games on it. <laughs> it could be. That would be. Oh, oh, and then you could play like um, um, Atlantis Rising. Have you have you played that game where the island? No. Is, like like uh, you, the you you remove you flip pieces of Atlantis Rising uh, to simulate the island sinking into the ocean. But if you're playing it over a swimming pool, it could like literally sink into the ocean. It could have this time element where if you want to preserve your precious, precious board game, you gotta, you gotta open up the cosmic gate, which is how you win the game before it sinks into the water. What, what we need, we need some Patreon sponsors. And if we can hit the budget, we're going to build this and we're going to do a live action Atlantis Rising. That sounds great. That sounds great. And I, I like that. And we should, you and do I. Do I get to wear a toga? Do they wear togas in maybe, Atlantis? And then bathing suits. And you and I could just. And bathing suits. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Just togas. I live on the edge. Just togas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, it sounds good. Why be- now, if we did have that, my children would. You know, one 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 son would tell the other son, "Oh yeah, I've taken the top off. You can totally dive in the, you know, or like jump in the pool and leave the top on and watch him." Oh no, you know, hurt himself. Yeah, they would find that hilarious. There would be it's Cain so and Abel sad. all the time. They're just they're always yeah. trying to kill each other. Yeah, Cain and Abel. And the meeples would bounce everywhere too. Then, which would, which would also <laughs> thanks be bad. for worrying about the meeples. <laughs> I mean, I mean, both are, are tragic, of course. I'm not trying to, know, not trying to know, belittle right? the tragedy. Of, but there are doctors for humans. There aren't doctors for meeples. No, Let's face true. it. I mean, you, you can't glue a meeple back together, but bones will heal. Yeah, yeah. yeah meeple yeah. doctor. That's a good point. <laughs> there could be worse professions than a meeple doctor. <laughs> I kind of like that as my handle now. Etsy, yeah, that's going to be my Etsy shop, the meeple, the meeple doctor. I like it. And it comes back just kind of slightly glued, but it's not really lined up well. And you're like, I can't believe this guy's terrible. And a little, like a, a little tiny, like a page of text, like to talk about its story. Like this, this. Talk about my story. This blue, yeah. this blue and how this. Um, yeah, it's just, just you terrible. Know, enjoying its day. And then something happened. Um, I would be interested to hear 
if any of our listeners have some board game table stories they'd like to share. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know if, you know, have mm-hmm. you made an investment into a nice board game table or, uh, or how, you know, what kind of table do you use? Or Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with, because yeah. if you're into this, it's going to, you naturally will use a dining table and that introduces, well, where are you going to eat? Right. Do you put yeah. the game up? Do you think you're going to play it tomorrow? I think that's probably a very common yeah. experience. So yeah, I would be interested as well. Yeah. yeah. How you Or do you use a card table, yeah. which was very popular mm. in the olden days? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, that, I guess was the first gaming table was a card table. You know, I hadn't thought about that until just now, but it, it is called Cards. a card table, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Hmm, that's pretty interesting, cool. Interesting. Well, you've got me reading a, a pretty cool book. Speaking of cool, well, thanks, thanks. Yeah, so today is the first uh, installment of, I, I guess I've been calling it Board Game Faith Book Club, but we can call it something else mm-hmm. if you want to. But the idea I think is. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. The idea is, you know, over time, uh, we'll just, you know, read some parts of different books related to issues of uh, games and spirituality, games and religion. Um, and the first one we are taking a look at is called The Grasshopper by Bernard Suits. Now, one little disclaimer we always put in everything is just that the book, for whatever reason, you know, contains a few adult images and themes. So just make aware of that. Um, may not necessarily be kind of for younger readers or family readers, but it's a really interesting book. Um, so for today, we are discussing just the preface and chapter one. Um, in some future episode, we'll discuss chapter three, and then we'll wrap it up in some future, future episode with a discussion of chapters 14 and 15. And I think really, if you, if you get those three segments of the book, um, preface and chapter one, and then chapter three, and then chapters 14 and 15. That really kind of captures the heart and spirit of the book. Mm. And how did you find out about this book? You know, that's a great question. I think early on, as I was starting to get interested in these issues of uh, board games and, and religion and spirituality and meaning in life, um, I just came across it as a, a mm. book that I, I saw mentioned in various places. Um, and it, it is... Um, it's a fascinating, unusual, weird, wonderful book. Um, there are a couple of um, words of context that it, it probably needs to be said to talk about where this book came from. First of all, kind of more of a philosophical um, context for it. Uh, I, I am not a philosopher, um, but um, my understanding is that... Um, uh, famous philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein um, was uh, famous, among other things, for arguing that the sense that we really can't define anything in 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 life. And I'm, pro- I'm sure there are philosophers out there who are who are um, feeling like I'm grossly um, simplifying his argument, and I'm sure it's probably true. But he included as an example games, just saying, you know, we really can't define what a game is, and so that's one context that this book arose out of Barnard, Bernard Suits, who is a Canadian uh, professor of philosophy, he's passed away. I said, you know what? Yeah, we can define things, and I think we can define what games are, and I'm going to write a book about it, so, which is where the, one of the sources of The Grasshopper. The other source is more of a narrative source for this book, and that is Aesop's fable of the ant and the grasshopper. And just as a reminder, um, the uh, the fable, Aesop's fable about the end of the grasshopper kind of goes something like this. So, uh, winter, winter was, winter was coming. <laughs> winter. And, uh, Game of Thrones. And, uh, in addition to the last book to the, uh, what are they called? The white walkers? Is that what the, the white walkers? The white walk- yes. In addition yes. to the white walkers, uh, winter also brought, you know, a, a, a scarcity of insect food. And so, um, so, so the winter's coming and the grasshopper's like, Oh no, it's winter time and I don't have any food. I'm hungry. What am I going to do? I want to go visit my friend, the ant. And so the grasshopper goes to the ant and says, Ant, please, I'm so hungry. Could you please share food? Because I know you've been working hard all year gathering up food. And the ant's like, well, why don't you have food, grasshopper? And, and, and the grasshopper's like, well, I've been playing all year long. I've been playing. And the ant is like, well... 
tough to be you, man, but I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. share my hard earned food with you. You should have been working during the year. And that's how the uh, fable ends. Well, um, the grasshopper from that fable is the grasshopper of this book that it's named after. And the idea is that really the grasshopper had it right. Yeah. That, um, um, that, that, that the grasshopper is almost this kind of like, uh, almost this kind of like messianic figure who, who mm-hmm. is this, yeah, there's some- yeah, this evangelist of, of, of play and games. And, and in the preface, he talks about it. Um, Suits talks about this idea. He says, utopian existence is fundamentally concerned with game playing that somehow in the grasshopper's mind, what it means to inhabit paradise and what it means to play games and what the meaning of life is are all, or these are all issues that are kind of tied up together. And so, uh, so in chapter one, he sets up this story, uh, for basically the rest of the book, which is that the grasshopper is dying. The grasshopper is, is close to death because he's starving. He doesn't have food because of the whole ant grasshopper, um, exchange. And um, so as he's dying, he gathers together his disciples. It's very kind of Christ-like 12 disciples sort of thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and uh, side note yeah. too, later, it's going to be the thoughts of one of his followers who is Skepticus. Yes. So yes. it's really like the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that the Gospels are not written by Jesus, but by his disciples. That's so good. Because because they you know, Jesus and the grasshopper are dead and gone. Yeah. Yeah. Although, of course, in Christianity, Jesus has resurrected, so he's back in the Holy Spirit, but Right, so it, it kind of gone and not gone. Well, yeah. and it, when, I'm not not spoilers, but when you get to the end of the book, <laughs> that's all I'm just going to say. Just hold on to that. <laughs> Can't keep a good man down. That's all we could say. Um, that's exactly. You know, I have thought about that, but you're right. That is so much like the Gospels. That as we kind of um, learn about Jesus through the eyes of others, his disciples. That's really how we learn about the grasshopper from the bulk of this book. He dies at the very beginning. And then you're right. Then the rest so of the book is Skepticus, one of his disciples, yeah. saying, talking to Prudence, another of his disciples, saying, well, here's what we remember about the grasshopper mm-hmm. and what the grasshopper taught. Um, but he's alive. And we're left, they're left with his message yes. and his life, which is he's willing to die for his convictions, which is like Jesus, but also like Socrates. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. a bit of Socrates who is willing to die for his, you know, his belief that philosophy is the practice of death. Mm-hmm. And so I think the dialogue bit is coming from Plato and Socrates. And that's, that comes in a bit in the introduction. Yeah. I, so he's melding these two traditions. I love that thought of what's, what did you, so philosophy is the practice of death. Yes. Uh, Could, is, Plato. Is that something you can illuminate a little bit more or, or, or how is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, just the, this idea that for Socrates and Plato, that the true, true reality is another world. It's this perfect world that's a world of, that's invisible and where beauty and logic and things are absolute. Yeah. So the beauty of a rose, the true beauty of it, its essence is most fully known in this other world. Mm, the ideal of the rose. And the ideal of the rose. Mm. And so philosophy is the practice of trying to understand and live in that world as much as you can mm, interesting. on this side of things. Mm. Yeah. So that's what he means by the practice of death. Thank you. Thank you. So it's not, yeah, he's not advocating people commit suicide or kill one another, but that you, that, that you move towards another world, which is a deeply spiritual notion right, that Christians right. like that. It does lead to uh, putting down this world. That's the problematic is that exactly. this world is somehow evil or oppressive. And, right. and I don't think Plato himself wants to really say that because clearly the forms are at work in this world, but it does make this world secondary. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's kind of problematic and right. but spiritual, right? Because because some Asian religions, Hinduism and Buddhism and others, talk about you know the true reality is is hidden behind a mirage of this world. So there's some similar notions going on of the real world is not the world that we see. Yeah, and that's certainly a theme. I think so you know it's spiritual. Sometimes we'll get in Christian circles too. You know this this emphasis on on the other world. 
And you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the problem of that is that it, you know, it kind of it 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 makes this world secondary, and you know, and then you lead to yes. things like, well, let's not worry about injustice, or let's not worry about you know the environment, or correct, you know, racism, or you know, whatever, just because this world is passing, and you know, yeah, yeah, that's a good. Anyway, I find the theme of death in Grasshopper really interesting yeah. that that you don't introduce a character who then dies, right. but that fits in with the original fable that he doesn't get out. That's right. Like That's stuck. right. Yeah. It's really cool. And he does. And, and he speaks in this first chapter, not only about dying for his convictions, but he's also dying for his disciples. Again, a very Christ-like mm-hmm. image. He says, I am dying for mm-hmm. you. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't really, I don't think he, he kind of d- doesn't really illuminate that a lot, but he gets to this point then where his disciples are begging him, where they're kind of saying, come on, let us feed you. You know, what, what's the point of this here? You know, what, what's good is your death going to do? And, um, and, and they, and he says, no, you know, I got to be true to my belief in, you know, play is the ultimate in importance in life. And they say, well, come on, there's got to be this balance, right? Surely you recognize, Grasshopper, that there's got to be this balance between work and play, right? That uh, mm-hmm. work's kind of a necessary evil. And he doesn't, he doesn't budge, which I think is so no. cool. You know, he doesn't budge. And he, and he responds in three ways, which is then kind of how the chapter ends. He says, one, he says, it's kind of my, it's, he says, it's my destiny to die for play, mm-hmm. um, which I think he kind of calls maybe the theological um, yeah, answer. Yeah. And then he says, um, and they, oh, he even talks it about, like, he says, this is my cross to bear for, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, he, and then he goes on to say, well, you know what? Everyone's going to die. Um, and, and I'm kind of extrapolating a little bit here, but it seems like, you know, if everyone's going to die anyway, might as well die for play. <laughs> you know, for, but but he's, right. that's not quite what he says. He says, if I, if I give myself to a life of, life of work, I'm going to cease to be the grasshopper, which is right. a kind of death anyway. I'm going to cease to be who I am, why I'm on this earth, you know, to, to be this evangelist for play. But then he responds finally with this dream. And the, and the whole rest of the book is kind of this trying to illuminate what this dream is about. And, and, and for his disciples after he dies to figure out what the dream is about. And this dream is um, that he... Um, he goes around to carpenters, laborers, uh, you know, cello players, people who have jobs around the world. And he convinces them that no matter what they're doing, what they're really doing is playing. And, mm-hmm. and when he, in this dream, when he convinces people that what they're really doing in all of their work is playing, they instantly disappear so that he becomes the only creature left on earth. Um, and, and then he dies and that's how the chapter ends. And so then the, the rest of the book until the end, spoilers, um, the rest of the book is his disciples trying to remember his words and trying to figure out this dream. What does it mean that maybe everyone on earth is really just playing? And when we realize it, we all disappear. Anyway, that's kind of my summary of <laughs> does that Kevin I know you, you read the first chapter too does that end the preface does that seem to gel with your am I leaving anything out or does that gel with your understanding of it no no I think you're spot on and in fact I have to admit I was reading this late last night after struggling through the introduction mm-hmm, which I did not by, read yeah. by Frank Newfeld, which is really interesting but it's very it's a hard read so I missed some of this being re- late last night and kind of dozing off sure that he, when in this dream, they disappear. I mean, mm. gosh, mm. that is really wild. Isn't that, isn't that funky? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's, it's this weird bit. We don't talk about this anymore of utopia. And, and he there's some overtones to kind of a Marxism, like, and, and the little excerpts I've read of Marx, he kind of, in his vision of utopia, people can, people can do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Because all your basic needs are met. Mm. So he's, it's almost like he's playing off of that, that maybe at some point society evolves, sort of like Star Trek, yep. where they don't have money. Yep. Yep. And, and right, you have like one engineer who can take time off to solve puzzles and mysteries. Yep. And, and so, so in some ways, it, it's, a, 
it's a futuristic vision that technology would free us from, I guess, having to farm and having to. I don't. I don't know. It's exactly, like it'll make us Teslas. Yeah, it's exactly and what he is, says. This 1978 is the first book or first edition, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I wonder how much of that is dated because, if anything, technology is making us more enslaved because now you have to do email over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So the promise that technology would make our lives easier is kind of. I mean, it has in that we have thermostats and we have. I mean, there's certainly a lot of benefits, but it's not a. The robots will do my laundry for me. We're not there yet. Like George Jetson, remember? Yeah. Although he had to go punch yeah. in a clock, but he had a, a robot made and everything. Um, where are where are the bubble cities? I was I was promised bubble, bubble cities city. and jetpacks, which I'm I think yes, I'm quoting several yes. references here. But yes, yes, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, so that that's the weird bit. Yeah. Like it really is apocalyptic almost. Well, and he he gets later on not to give too many. Spoilers, but later on, he kind of gets in the same idea. He frames it in terms of, I think, plenitude and scarcity, which you know, which I think is almost basically the same language you often hear in theological discussions of abundance and scarcity. You know, and it's this idea mm-hmm. of, you know, if I mean, there are implications to this idea that if that God is a God of abundance, you know, and if it's true that God is a God of abundance and provides all that is needed. that can say something about what we feel obligated to do or not do in life in terms of work and play. And, uh, and he, he begins to explore that, you know, later on. Um, and it brings up such interesting issues, but tough issues too. You know, there's that sense of the ideal versus reality, you know, and, and what mm-hmm. world are we living in? Um, he, the other thing, I, I think the other thing that really comes out of this first chapter is what is the relationship between work and play, you know, that, um, and I'd be interested in hearing, you know, your thoughts on this too, Kevin, you know, that, that, um, his disciples present him with this idea of work as kind of a necessary evil, right? That you, you, um, you, that allows us you know, you just have to do for life and um, as an opposite of play in some ways. But then, you know, I've, I've read elsewhere this notion that play really is not the opposite of work. That the, um, hmm. Jane McGonigal talks about this in her book, Reality is Broken, which we might do sometime in the future too. But, you know, this idea that the opposite of work is like hopelessness. The opposite of work is like purposelessness. Weird. And that, okay. and that play in a way is just kind of like work that we enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if that makes I sense. I think that's where he's going. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've read and studied this book more than me, but yeah, I think he wants to really go, go for a deeper reality than just we work to play so that we can play to work or, mm-hmm. or, or no, we don't work to play. Right. Yeah. We're always playing and, that's that's fascinating. Part of the trap, and I've read this as a critique of capitalism, that we end up working to make money so then we can have leisure activities. Mm-hmm. So leisure activities didn't start till the 1800s. Mm-hmm. This idea of making a grand trip to Italy or European trip or um, just the leisure class and going to a hotel for two weeks like people used to do and summer vacations. Um, all this was developed as a part of of industrialization Mm. up till then you either just were rich or poor Mm -hmm. but now you're making money and then you have leisure time Mm -hmm. and we have the concept of the weekend versus the work days right right and so the whole weekend comes out industrialization too so the trap is you work to get the perfect vacation but no vacation's ever really perfect or there's an even better vacation which means you have to work harder so that then you can stay at the nicer Disney resort, right? right? And so you end up work, you end up flip-flopping, and I think that's what why Suits' grasshopper doesn't want to compromise. Yeah. He doesn't want to say, no, you can't just work nine to five and then play at night and weekends. Right, right. Because you're still trapped in, I don't know if it's capitalism, I don't know how to frame it, but but it really is a capitalist way of thinking that you 
you're working for the man so that then you can play. Yeah, it is. It is. And 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 he's he's imagining a more of a yeah, everything is play and almost an artisan type carpenters. He's talking about carpenters and musicians. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think he is. I think you're right that he's erasing he wants to erase those categories. And it is it is troubling. Yeah, yeah. Um which kind of yeah, that maybe ties into the whole thing about when people realize that they disappear in a way, which maybe, which maybe we can get out of spoilers when we try to figure that out. Yeah. So where do they disappear? Is it they got taken up or they became players and not workers? Or is it that they couldn't handle the reality of mm-hmm. the fact that they denied themselves? Right. Yeah. Right, there's, right. wow. What if opening chapter? Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I, I the other, the other, theological issue I find it brings up for me, which I, I don't really have an easy resolution to, is the notion of Sabbath, uh, you know, and um, I, I'm no expert on theology of Sabbath by any means and would be, you know, interested in um, uh, hearing, you know, especially insights made of, you know, uh, any of our, our listeners who you know, may come out of Judaism or Jewish tradition. Um, certainly Sabbath keeping has been an especially important part of, of, um, of, uh, of, of the Jewish tradition. But this idea that I've, of resting on the Sabbath, how that relates to work and play. I mean, I certainly understand how that relates to mm-hmm. work, but if play is just work that we enjoy, <laughs> you know, I mean, then right. you rest from play too. Is that... Or, you know, in, in, in what's the difference? Is there a difference between resting and playing? And what the relation, if there is a difference, what's the relationship? Gosh, between the two that's of such them? a great question. Yeah, I, I do think you're right that the pure notion of Sabbath in Judaism and earlier Christianity was you don't work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was not the idea of leisure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it got transformed in Christian circles as a leisure day because of the influence of the 19th, 20th, 21st centuries. Okay. So in Methodist circles, they talk about, have you had a Sabbath day? They kind of mean, did you go fishing or golfing? Right, right. Or see a movie? So you did something fun. Right. We don't think of it as not working because you're absolutely right that, that those things can be, you're either having to do things or you're, you're forcing other people to do things for you, such yeah. as run the popcorn stand at the movie theater if you go to the movies. I have wondered then, so the idea of Sabbath is really spending time with family or meditating? Mm-hmm, like if mm-hmm. you're not working, what are you doing? Right, but right. But in Jewish circles, they debate, you know, does it involve cooking? Like you can reheat things, but you can't cook. And can you turn on light switches? So some of those debates in some branches of Judaism, it depends on, of course, the branch of Judaism, right. uh, can get quite esoteric about what constitutes work, Right, right. which is getting to the heart of our question, which is what is work, what is play, what is Sabbath? Uh, and I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I, I did a quick little internet search at, at some point and found, you know, in, in some... Um, in some interpretations of Sabbath keeping that even says, well, you know, children can play, children can play games, but the older you get, the really, you know, you, um, adults really shouldn't do that either, you know? And, and, and again, that's just came from a very quick little internet search. Um, the, the other issue it brings up for me related to that is, you know, I, I, I read a fair amount of, um, I've read some, um, fair amount of, Buddhist writings as well. I'm a big fan of, of Thich Nhat Hanh, who, who passed away recently. Um, and, uh, you know, and his whole thing is, one of his important themes is this idea that it is so important to take time just to be, you know, and not to, not to try to distract our minds and hearts with always doing. And how right. that relates to play and games and work is an issue I'd love to explore sometime too. And to hear what what you'd have to say, Kevin, and what our listeners would have to say, you know, that um, is there a fundamental difference between, you know, playing if it's just, if playing is still a work that we enjoy and just existing, you know, and just, just truly just, um, 
you know, it's kind of a cliche, but that sense of, you know, we're called human beings, not human doings, you know, that we just having these moments of just being. <laughs> yeah, and don't existing. say that again. That's so cliche. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that there's inherent value in doing nothing, you know, that uh, of just existing and being and being aware sure. of the time and place that you inhabit. Yes. And I think of that sometimes because I look at my board games. I'm like, oh, I really should play this game. I haven't played in a while. And why am I keeping it? Because, right, I, I, it can become oppressive that I feel as if, well, why am I buying these games if I don't play them? But I've got to play them, but I don't remember how to play this, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so it becomes, it becomes a chore yeah, yeah. because anything you own owns you in a sense. Yeah. Oh, no, I just did a cliche too. Darn it. I know. But when it comes out of your mouth, so, it yes, sounds fresh. So, yes, how do I? Hmm? When it comes out of your mouth, it sounds fresh and new. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think um, <laughs> you're so much better at them than me. <laughs> no, no, no. Humble word. Uh, right. Yeah, no, I, I wonder about the getting and spending nature of the board game community and the hot, the hot. I mean, if you go to Board Game Geek, the hot now or whatever they call yeah, it, yeah. right? The, the hotness. hotness. So the hotness. Just so whatever the hot games are. What some of our viewers call our show too, by the way. Just we're the hot Yes. And us really. True. Right. True. Anyway, keep going. I'm true, sorry. True. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. Like how do we what's the difference between being and is that the goal of Sabbath? The Bible doesn't really talk about play Mm-mm. that much. Nope. 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 Unless you include, they would cast lots, so they would they would make decisions. They would let luck be decided by what they thought was God's spirit, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the umen and thumen and casting lots. So there's a bit of chance there, but I also wondered about puzzles, and that's a question I have with the grasshopper: mm. is how is playing a game different from a crossword puzzle? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right, because it's it's similar in the definition of your you have a goal that's kind of stupid and pointless and you can't do it the easy way. Right. Right. And of course, games have puzzles in them. Some are more puzzly than others, like, um, feast for Odin. Yeah. Um, how do you fit this piece into this sort of a Tetrisy type Tetris video game element? So what do games share with puzzles and what are they not? I don't know. Yeah. I love that. And so, yeah, like a puzzle, um, I would think puzzles are as basic to pe- as human existence as gaming. The, the relationship between puzzles and games is a is a fascinating well, puzzling, subject. Really. Yeah, yeah. And I think f- that for the next installment of the board game club, I think readers will find if they want to read along that that's really a major theme of um, of our next part of this book in chapter three. Um, oh, he's going to anticipate that question. Yeah, and chapter three is all about arriving at this really, I think it's this really elegant definition of what a game is. And uh, it's a definition I've seen quoted in many other places. A lot of people really seem to resonate with okay. this definition that he he arrives at in chapter three of what a game is. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I think that's cool. And how that relates to puzzles or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, as you said, he's trying to show that Wittgenstein is wrong about we can't define games. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Wow. Well, I'm enjoying it, and hopefully our listeners are as well. And if they're interested, we're going to space this out. So if you are hearing this in the future, um, you may still be able to get a copy, although there are there are some images and things in here that are adultish. Um, and read along with us. And Yeah, we love that. Um, send us an email at boardgamefaith at gmail.com or Instagram, and we'd love to keep the discussion going. We absolutely yeah. would love to hear your comments, and we would include them in the future. And, and um, yeah, let us know what you think. Especially if you're from Virginia. Virginia, my, our <laughs> peeps. We, lo- we, we love Virginians. Virginia's for gamers, <laughs> not for lovers. <laughs> That's a reference to a stick, I think that was a advertising campaign in Virginia. Virginia is for lovers. Yes. Back in the... They had bumper stickers yes. back in the days. In the clap-on days. The clap-on days. The 1880s, I think. I think clap-on should like become that. like an ongoing thing for Board Game Faith, and maybe we could even get a corporate sponsorship. I, I mean, 
We're cheap. We are really cheap yeah. Yeah. in terms of sponsorships. I'll, um, I'll, I'll clap on everything if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> what is the sound of one hand clapping? Well, it, it's a lamp, really. It's, it, it's a clap on lamp. Yeah, That's yeah. the sound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> There's some poor CEO of, of, of Clap One Lamps, and he's like, "What are who, who are these people?" <laughs> if you work for Clap On, we love you. This is not we love this you. This is not not meant as a as a disparaging tease. No, no, no. You, you bring such joy to to us. But so if people's you. Amazon shopping carts are a feast of Odin and Clap One Lamps, I mean, <laughs> we'll accept a thank you note. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Journey of the heart <laughs> <laughs> to discover it was all inside of him all along. Was <laughs> the meeple? He was the meeple. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Next time, next time we are going to discuss something that currently escapes my mind. Oh, I, I put you so on the give spot. me a hint. Give me I hear we could give me a hint. I, what does it start I, with? Um, I'm, give me I a give me a letter. Kevin, we'll I'm play sorry. a game. Um, no, no. I it's me. It's my well, allergies. I mowed yesterday. Yeah, well. So. I understand. You had It looks nice. The though. idea arose out of a, a little research project you were doing this past week. But give me the first letter. Um, Let's, first letter. Uh, oh, D. I know. I know. D. D. And, Daniel. The, <laughs> <laughs> give me the next letter. Give me uh, next letter. Is R. This was the research project that b- began the subject. You were doing some research into. Oh, oh, yes, I know, yes. I know, I know. Maybe we shouldn't tell the listeners. See if they can. It's like the okay. puzzle on the New York Times. Like say the. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Dreyfus affair. They're going to talk about the Dreyfus affair. Why? Are, why are we talking about the Dreyfus affair? Because uh, you came across the fact that there was a board game created to teach about the Dreyfus affair. Uh, back in the 1890s. Now, I will be interested to find out what side of the of the debate the Dreyfus Affair board game was created because apparently there was a lot of polemics on either side. And I think um, it was pro pro the prisoner. Okay, okay, good. It was it good. was trying to reveal the anti-Semitism of France of the day, okay, okay, which was blaming him. What was it? He was trading secrets for something like that. Yeah, yeah. But then that brought up just the larger subject of using board games to teach. Right. And uh, yes, um, as teaching devices, as didactic devices and is, you know, what are times that 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 is done well and what are times when that's not done well? And when is that appropriate? When is that not appropriate as games, as as uh, educational form formative devices? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, board games is it is D.A. Di- no, no, it's di didactic. There is a d, there is a d and an a in the middle, like Daniel. I'm didactic. That's what I was thinking. So yes, how do we use board games as teaching tools to teach us about history, about um, certain realities? How do we identify? Like, what do games take us through? There's some games about slavery. There's some games about. Afghanistan in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and uh, it was called the Great Game. I think even in historical circles yeah. of these these imperial battles taking place. So, how do board games teach us something? Right, right, and sometimes whether we want to or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to talking about that. That's going to be cool. So, if you have a favorite didactic board game, a DBG, mm, mm. if you will. Uh, invite our listeners to share that D- DBG on BGF a didactic board game on BGF <laughs> LOL BGF at I isn't Instagram IGG doesn't it have something right. IG it's just IG. IG oh it's kind of lame <laughs> I, I like airport codes three letters yeah 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 that, that's better oh cool I, I'm looking forward to it and if people want to, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I, I can talk about how people can get no, involved. No, I think it was funny. I did for, it was my idea and I forgot. No, yeah. it's good. It's good. How could people, if people want to get involved or get connected to board game faith or support it or any of that stuff, um, how can they do that? They can, Instagram. We're pretty lively on Instagram. Yep. Yep. We reached over and 200 people, uh, followers this over week. Over 200. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
when we hit 205, I will wear a toga for recording. Well, we're, I'm, we're at 218, actually, already. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> be glad there's no video. It's a magnificent to this. toga, Kevin. Um, it is. It is yes. And on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, and um, and uh, Email, boardgamefaith at gmail.com. Yep, yep. And we even have a brand new um, Board Game Faith email. You can email us at info at boardgamefaith.com as well. But both of those are active. Ooh. Boardgamefaith at gmail.com or info at boardgamefaith.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've Finally. set up a Patreon account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if um, Kevin and I, Kevin, you and I were talking about this, you know, we're, we're um, just, it's there if you're interested in helping to, um, to, to support the cost of the program, if you want to defray any of the costs of the, you know, licenses mm-hmm. and the, um, the board game faith jet. <laughs> um, we bought the jet because it comes with free podcast hosting. So, I mean, how could you, we it was to. such it was a good deal. Bargain. It was a bargain. <laughs> we had, uh, that's right. We couldn't not buy it. Um, but no, but, but seriously with, you know, just, you know, just some licenses and software and things. And I know Kevin, you, you've very generously, graciously invested into a lot of the tech for this. Um, but that's, um, but also just, if you want to invest in the mission of this podcast, just of, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So exploring the, if you believe that games can make life better or spiritually better and want to kind of invest in that mission, we'd love to have you be part of it in that way as well. Um, um, you can find a link to our Patreon on our um, on our Fireside website, um, and um, and uh, our Patreon is Patreon.com/slash/BoardGameFaith. So. That's weird. Why did you go? How, why did you go with that? Um, because um, Kevin is awesome was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. Kevin and Atoga. Kevin yeah. and Atoga. All right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks to everyone. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night, whatever remains before you, right? Yeah. We've got day, but somebody might have night. Night listeners. Yeah, we really appreciate everybody listening. You all mean so much to us, and we love hearing from you um, through email and the social media. The social media. Um, the social media. You all are awesome. Thank you so much. Kevin, you're awesome. Right. No, but you're awesomer. You're too kind. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye.